Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about Tetralogy of Fallow. And if you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, you can follow along at zerodefinals.com slash tetralogyoffallow or in the cardiology section of the Zero to Finals pediatrics book. So let's get straight into it. Tetralogy of Fallow is a congenital condition where there are four coexisting pathologies. And those four pathologies are a ventricular septal defect or a VSD, overriding aorta, pulmonary valve stenosis, and right ventricular hypertrophy. The ventricular septal defect allows blood to flow between the ventricles. The term overriding aorta refers to the fact that the entrance to the aorta or the aortic valve is placed further over to the right than normal which is positioned more above the ventricular septal defect. This means that when the right ventricle contracts and sends blood upwards, the aorta is in the direction of travel of that blood. Therefore, a proportion of deoxygenated blood enters the aorta from the right side of the heart. Stenosis of the pulmonary valve provides greater resistance against the flow of blood from the right ventricle. This encourages blood to flow through the VSD into the aorta rather than taking the normal route into the pulmonary vessels. Therefore, the overriding aorta and the pulmonary stenosis encourage blood to be shunted from the right side of the heart to the left, causing cyanosis. The increased strain on the muscular wall of the right ventricle as it attempts to pump blood against the resistance of the left ventricle and the resistance of the pulmonary stenosis causes right ventricular hypertrophy which is thickening of the heart muscle in the right ventricle. These cardiac abnormalities cause a right-to-left cardiac shunt, which means that blood bypasses the child's lungs. Blood bypassing the lungs does not become oxygenated. Therefore, deoxygenated blood enters the systemic circulation and causes cyanosis. The degree to which this happens is mostly related to the severity of the pulmonary stenosis. So if there's a less severe pulmonary stenosis, the child will become less cyanotic and a more severe pulmonary stenosis will result in more of a right-to-left shunt and more cyanosis. There's a few risk factors and these are rubella infection, increased age of the mother, typically over 40 increases the risk significantly, alcohol consumption in pregnancy and a diabetic mother. Let's talk about the investigations. As with all structural congenital cardiac abnormalities, an echocardiogram is the investigation of choice for establishing the diagnosis. During the echocardiogram, the machine can produce coloured pictures that demonstrate the direction of flow of the blood, and this is called a Doppler flow study. This is useful in assessing the severity of the abnormality and the shunt. A chest x-ray may show a characteristic boot-shaped heart due to the right ventricular thickening. However, this is not particularly useful diagnostically except in your medical exams, where if you see a boot-shaped heart, think about a trilogy of fallow. How does it present? Most cases are picked up before the child is born during the antenatal scans. Additionally, you may hear an ejection systolic murmur caused by the pulmonary stenosis during the newborn baby check, resulting in further investigations and a diagnosis. Severe cases will present with heart failure before the age of one year. 
In milder cases, they can present as older children once they start to develop signs and symptoms of heart failure. So what are the signs and symptoms? The key things to look for on examination are cyanosis, finger clubbing, poor feeding and poor weight gain, and something called tet spells, which we'll talk about shortly. The murmur heard in Tetralogy of Fallow is an ejection systolic murmur loudest in the pulmonary area, which is the second intercostal space left sternal border, and this is caused by the pulmonary stenosis. Let's talk about tet spells. Tet spells are intermittent symptomatic periods where the right to left shunt becomes temporarily worsened, which precipitates an episode of cyanosis. This happens when the pulmonary vascular resistance increases or the systemic resistance decreases. Either of these will encourage more blood to flow from the right to the left side of the heart, bypassing the lungs. For example, if the child is physically exerting themselves, they're generating a lot of carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is a vasodilator that causes systemic vasodilation and therefore reduces the systemic vascular resistance. Blood flow will choose the path of least resistance, so blood will be pumped from the right ventricle to the aorta rather than the pulmonary vessels, because the systemic vascular resistance is lower. This causes deoxygenated blood to bypass the lungs and enter the systemic circulation, where it can cause cyanosis. These episodes may be precipitated by walking, physical exertion or crying. The child will become irritable, cyanotic and short of breath. Severe spells can lead to reduced consciousness, seizures and potentially even death. Let's talk about the treatment options for managing TET spells. Older children might squat when a TET spell occurs and younger children can be positioned with their knees up to their chest. This is because squatting increases the systemic vascular resistance and encourages blood to enter the pulmonary vessels. Any medical management of a TET spell should involve an experienced paediatrician as they can potentially be life-threatening. Treatment is with supplementary oxygen, which is essential in hypoxic children, as hypoxia can be fatal. Beta blockers can be used to relax the right ventricle and improve flow to the pulmonary vessels. IV fluids can increase preload, which increases the volume of blood flowing to the pulmonary vessels. Morphine can decrease respiratory drive, resulting in more effective breathing. Sodium bicarbonate can be used to buffer any metabolic acidosis that occurs. And phenylephrine infusions can be used to increase the systemic vascular resistance and encourage blood to enter the pulmonary vessels rather than the systemic circulation. So what's the overall management and prognosis of Tetralogy of Fallow? In neonates, a prostaglandin infusion can be used to maintain the ductus arteriosus and this allows blood to flow from the aorta back to the pulmonary arteries and increase the amount of blood that's flowing through the pulmonary vessels and getting oxygenated. Total surgical repair by open heart surgery is the definitive treatment However, the mortality from surgery is around 5%. Prognosis overall depends on the severity. However, it's poor without any treatment. With corrective surgery, 90% of patients will live into adulthood. So thanks for listening to this episode on Tetralogy of Fallow. A big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. 
If you found this podcast helpful and you want written notes on this topic and all the other topics, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zero to Finals Pediatrics book. You can also find full audiobook versions of the Zero to Finals books on Audible, which are available to download so that you can take the topics with you wherever you go. And you can listen to the books from cover to cover, or you can pick and choose individual chapters and topics. You can also find notes, videos, illustrations and questions completely free on the Zero to Finals website at zerodefinals.com. And I hope you tune in to the next episode, which will be on Epstein's Anomaly.